Hello and welcome. This is a podcast explaining Ukraine by ukraineworld.org. We continue our podcasts about the war which Russia started against Ukraine. This series is brought to you by Internews Ukraine and Ukraine Crisis Media Center to Ukrainian media NGOs. My name is Vladimir Yadmolenko. I'm editor-in-chief of ukraineworld.org. We are making this podcast with Tatyana Harkova, who is in charge of international outreach at Ukraine Crisis Media Center. Hello, Tanya. Hello, Vladimir. Before we start, let me remind you that you can support us on Patreon, patreon.com slash ukraineworld. So today we are going to speak about the developments in this war, what is changing, which is what is changing on the ground. And uh, the key light motif of what, what we are going to tell you is that there is Russian defeat to the north and uh, to the northeast. So Russians have retreated these regions of Ukraine. And this is a very important development. Yeah. Yes, indeed. And in fact, what we see, this is not only the changes on the ground, but also the changes in plans. Because what we can tell now for sure that uh, Russia has definitely abandoned the idea to to conquer the whole Ukraine, starting from the capital. This is clear now. And the only reason for that is that they didn't have enough forces just to take Kiev, uh, to take Odessa, to take Mykolaiv. And this is quite clear that we will be dealing in next uh, weeks, let's hope it will be weeks and not months, with a so-called common war, so traditional war for Ukraine in a way that Ukraine was was uh, aggressed for the first time back in 2014 with Crimea and the south and Donbass um, in the east. And what they will be doing, they will be um, making these traditional uh, traditional war in the east and in the south in order to keep their positions and in order to progress and to get as much of Ukrainian territory as they can in order later to negotiate about that. So good news that there is at that very moment there is no direct risk for Ukrainian sovereignty in a way that capital is free from Russians, that there is no direct risk of re-attack, at least we are not military experts, but all military experts tell, assure that there is no physical possibility for Russian army to re-enter uh, Ukrainian ter- territory from the north, from Belarus. So this, this is just, let's, let's exclude that for next weeks and months. Later, anything may happen. But at that very moment, the, the big, the first battle for Ukraine, for Ukrainian sovereignty, is already won by Ukrainian army, but Ukrainian citizens. But what we uh, will observe in next weeks and months, uh, this is surely intensification of combats in the east and in the south. And another bad news for Russians is that it will be an extremely difficult task for them to progress. Uh, if we look uh, on the maps, we see that they do con- do control kind of pieces of territory in the south, for example, in Kherson, and goes to the direction of Mykolaiv, but Mykolaiv uh, is not under Russians, and even the region of Mykolaiv is now free from Russian army. And the main battle in this region, in the south, is for Mariupol. Mariupol, this is a miracle for us, and nobody could, nobody could predict that. And a besieged city could stand for for more than one month already, starting from the first March. The uh, Mariupol is surrounded from every from everywhere, in fact, 
it has sea on the south and then from everywhere by Russian army. And they are still combating there in Mariupol for more than one month. And this is a kind of strategic importance for Ukraine. A lot of military experts say, say that this uh, heroic resistance in Mariupol plays a key role in what uh, in what in military operations of Ukraine military defense mil- military resistance of Ukraine why because they are concentrated Russians Russian army is concentrating important resources in this direction and as long as they are not successful they continue they, they keep uh, simply Mariupol keeps them busy and they cannot reattack in other directions We have published on our Twitter, we have published two maps made by a a famous Ukrainian website, Sensor.net, and by Ukrainian uh, journalist Yuri Butusov. So it's it's not yet translated, maybe we will, you know, create a a map in English, but uh, you'll find uh, the link to these maps in the description to this podcast. So you can see a, a situation, for example, in the 14th of March, No, no, it's it's 9th of March, the, the 14th day of Russian invasion. And you can see, for example, the, the territories taking to the north. Basically, the Russian tactics was to encircle Kiev. And I remember I was in Kiev at those times, you know, and addressed by foreign journalists who were telling me that, look, the Kiev is going to be encircled. I was telling them that, no, Kiev is very well protected and the encircling of Kiev is not possible. And but but I remember those times when everybody was okay. Uh, everybody al- already understood that Russians did not take Kiev in three days. But uh, still, on the second week of the war, uh, everybody like was sure that it is a matter of time. Now, if you if you look in the second map, you can see that, for example, all those territories, Chernihiv Oblast, very very important, the city of Chernihiv, which suffered enormously from the constant shelling. Uh, there is no Russians there. Sume, it's to the east. Basically, these two cities are on the Russian border, practically. They also, Russians encircled Sume, but didn't take it, didn't seize it, right? Yeah. They, they were unsuccessful. They only and destructed uh, it. Up to 70% of buildings are destructed, unfortunately, in Chernihiv. And this is extremely sad for us because it's one of the most ancient cities in in Ukraine and a so beautiful one and now they uh, fortunately enough uh, majority of citizens are alive but there were also all these war atrocities during these weeks of massive shelling uh, Russians were not in Chernihiv but they were close to Chernihiv they were shelling from many different systems so coming back to this map We see that uh, uh, coming back to this map, Russians were basically, you know, encircling Sumy and Chernihiv, but going to Kiev. Sumy opened up the way in the eastern direction, and Chernihiv opened up the way in, in the northern direction. So from Sumy, they would go through uh, uh, through uh, Priluki, through Bakhmach, through. Uh, and then through Borispil and, and Brovary, from Chernihiv also to Brovary, our hometown basically, but they didn't succeed. So now this direction is basically freed, liberated, they left those territories. And to the south, it is very important that uh, in um, 
early March, like the 9th of March, they were basically encircling Mykolaiv. They, they have taken Kherson, they are encircling Mykolaiv, and they were going to Voznesensk, and basically open up the way to Kiev from the south gradually. But now uh, it's all gone, and uh, Ukrainians counterattacked to the north and counterattacked to the southwest. So basically they moved from Mykolaiv, they already liberated much of the Mykolaiv Oblast, and they are approaching, Ukrainians are approaching Kherson, which is the, uh, let us remind, uh, remind you, the only oblast center, so the only regional center right now taken by the Russians. But uh, we hope that Kherson can be liberated, right? Mm -hmm. yeah. And um, But instead, if you look at the second map, you will see that uh, Russians did succeed in taking more territories to this uh, to the uh, to the southeast, and not only Mariupol. Well, they didn't take Mariupol, but uh, you know cities around Mariupol like Melitopol, Berdyansk, and of course Enerhodar with this um, Zaporizhia nuclear power plant. And uh, they are basically well, they are basically realizing their one of their plans to have this land corridor from Donbas. Uh, and from Russia, uh, effectively, uh, for, to, through Donbass to Crimea. Mm -hmm. And uh, unfortunately, they occupied almost all, the whole Luhansk Oblast. Uh, there's still fights uh, around Rubizhne and Severodonetsk, but they're controlling Starobilsk, uh, Svatove, mm, and some other towns. But in Donetsk Oblast, the, the, the front line, which was at the beginning of the invasion, is practically there. So, so mm -hmm. they, they, they do not move. And if you look to this in the second map, you, you can see that, well, the Russian plan is to encircle the Ukrainian army in the east. They encircle Ukrainian army, which is staying, you know, on this front line with the uh, self-proclaimed republics. And this is their goal. But mm -hmm. uh, from what we see is that Ukrainian army is strong. It is getting strengthened. Of course, this retreat of the, of the Russians from the north, from the north uh, east, uh, is beneficial for Ukrainian armies. So mm -hmm. Ukrainians can can concentrate on on, on other directions. Mm -hmm. Just maybe another detail, which is important here in this context. When let's look uh, at the map once again. So uh, let's talk about Kharkiv one, once more, because uh, Russians tried to take Kharkiv many times during all the the whole month. They were shelling. They were trying to enter the enter the city once. But they were um, pushed away. So now what is clear about Kharkiv is that Russian army is unable to take Kharkiv. And this is also important because for Putin and for his army, Kharkiv is an important city because it's like a symbolic value of the city because it is the biggest, one of the biggest cities in Ukraine, because it is ancient capital, because it is maybe they could present that as a victory of the eastern capital of Ukraine, something like that. So this is... Uh, happily enough, impossible now, and they 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 were trying to link Kharkiv to Donbass. In fact, what they were trying to do, but um, uh, fortunately enough, they, they they didn't succeed in that. So, um, speaking about South, uh, it is unacceptable uh, for Ukraine to um, to stop here and to negotiate to renegotiate what, whatever it could be now at the point when Russians are controlling the south because south is about access to Crimea it's about Dnieper river about the access of water to 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 uh, to Crimea 
uh, and this land corridor from coming from occupied territories, Donetsk, Lugansk to Crimea is also an acceptable position. But what military experts say at that very moment is that Ukrainian Ukrainian re, Ukrainian army reattacks quite successfully also in the south and. Uh, for example, in Kherson Oblast, it, it is slow. It is not. Uh, it is not a matter of days. But uh, they even now they had capacities to to stop this um, uh, advance and to reattack. So uh, let's hope that and, and Kharkiv is still here. So let's hope that they will be. Uh, they are. All, they, it has already been a, a huge mobilization in Ukraine, in terms of human resource. But at the same time, we are receiving during all these last days good news about military supplies, about arms. So um, um, it is. It looks like it looks like uh, that Ukraine will be able to to reattack in all these directions in the south and in the east. So this is not military speaking impossible this is quite possible and this is even much more easier for ukraine than for compared to russian troops to to advance so um we will see in coming weeks and maybe it will be decisive for several weeks to come about this battle in donbass and the south and we'll see how the ways how how this war could be um could could take an end in this battle uh, I think that the Bucha massacre has also was a very important thing, right? Important development. We have seen the change of rhetorics. We have seen the change of rhetorics of German Chancellor, Mr. Scholz. We have seen the kind of a change of rhetoric of EU leaders. Uh, I've seen the, the statement of Mr. Charles Michel yesterday who said that Putin uh, is not going, will not win this war. I think we should um, go farther and the Western leaders and EU leaders should go a little bit farther and say that not only the Putin is not going to win this war, but he's going to lose this war. That's a, that's an important step because previously, you know, the West was thinking, okay, let's do compromise with Putin. What should we give to Putin just so that he stops the war? Now I think people, I hope people are understanding that you should not ask a question what you should give to Putin. You should ask a question what you should take from Putin. What you what what losses you should you know um, evict. What losses you should produce for for Russia for Putin so that it it really it is interested in negotiations, mm -hmm. right? And this is very important. We also have good news from the United States. There was a draft bill basically from about land lease, uh, adopted, I think, by by Senate and need, needs to be adopted also by the House of Representatives. This is very important. Basically, yes, this is land lease law basically brings us back to uh, to the Second World War. Mm -hmm. And uh, when, when the Americans were giving, were landing weapons, uh, um, machinery, food, uh, equipment, etc., uh, under condition that it will be probably given back after the war, but of course many many things were were you know suffered during the war, but uh, many things were just given for free. And mm -hmm. this is very important as we as we see, Ukrainians are very brave, but they need we need the modern, up to date, you know uh, equipment weaponry, and this is what what is going on. Why so many tanks have been destroyed? The incredible number of tanks. We will come come to this later, because Ukrainians have this anti-tank uh, equipment uh, supplied by Americans and the Brits. 
And this land lease, um, land lease document, it also changes the status in a way of the United States because we, we were talking about international partners of Ukraine during all these first weeks of the war. But now I think that we can talk about allies because when you do, you're doing such things like land lease, it means that you be, you combat with Ukraine. So you provide your your weapons for Ukrainians to be able to defend their territory. So, so this is a kind of different level of, of cooperation operation and different different level of the understanding of what's going on um several weeks ago i remember um Jan Stoltenberg talking about in this at this important summit um, nato summit and the main the main message was that we will do everything to avoid this war in uh, on any other territory but ukraine but now what what they do So this is kind of different approach. So everybody understands now, and unfortunately, maybe tragically, this uh, Bucha massacre was maybe one of the most important shocks of this war for, for, for international audiences. It changes the approach. And at the same time, we receive, uh, we receive information from Mariupol yesterday uh, about uh, Russian army pre preparing to burn dead bodies in Mariupol just to hide to hide the the the, the consequences I don't know the the ex in in Mariupol because they uh, also um uh observing with this effect of these bucha bucha events for international support of Ukraine and uh it means also in a way that they presume that possibly, presume the possibility that Mariupol will be Ukrainian because otherwise there will be no necessity to, to, to hide the proofs of their crimes. So this is good news, good news in a way that we at least this information was communicated officially yesterday by city mayor of um, Mariupol. And um, it means that they can imagine the possibility that they will be Um, they will retreat from Mariupol as well. Important thing is that why Ukrainians really need these uh, heavy um, war machines, because uh, we understand that it was unexpected in a way that Russian army withdrew from Kyiv region and from Chernigiv region. Uh, it was not a result of a kind of Ukrainian massive counterattack. It was not like like Ukrainian troops arriving to Bucha and then pushing away Russian army. It was not like that. Russians left at the moment when they understood that their losses were too high. They lost too many men, too many vehicles, too many weapons, and they uh, decided to go away. So the same scenario is still possible, is quite possible, and maybe even a realistic scenario in Donbass and the South. So what we have to do now, what you Ukrainian army has to do now is to re-attack them with all the heavy weapons we, we will receive, we hope, in coming days and weeks from the West, and to make their losses unacceptable in a way that they take the decision to retreat. And as we've seen in Kyiv and in Chernigiv regions, this retreat could, could, this is a matter of days. They announced it, and they, in a matter of days, they were out, they were out to the border. So um, this... Uh, Good scenario could be repeated also in the east and the south, but at that very moment, Ukrainian army has to reattack um, very aggressively and in a very strong way. Indeed, let's let's talk about these Russian, uh, basically Russian losses. 
we are just uh, you know publishing every day the the information about russian losses uh, there is of course ukrainian information there is international information uh, that's they are different these different uh, sources but uh, let's try to to compare them right now mm-hmm. so the ukrainian data of uh, russian losses it's almost 19,000 personnel. They lost almost 19,000 personnel. So it's approaching 20,000. Yeah. Tanks, uh, 698. So almost 700. I mean, can we imagine 700 tanks? Mm-hmm. I'm, not, I'm not sure that any European army has 700 tanks. Armored vehicles, oh, almost 2,000. 1,891. 332 artillery systems, 135 helicopters, 150 aircrafts, uh, 1,358 vehicles, and so on and so forth. And a lot of these uh, these uh, machines are also captured by by Ukrainian army. So ironically enough, when Putin was talking about demilitarization of Ukraine in the beginning of the war, he was not uh, previewing that the possibility that Ukrainian army now is in possession of of Russian uh, yeah, vehicles. Yeah, U- Ukrainians are now having more tanks the, than before than the, when before the, the war. And the, with the, all these Western supply as well. The, the, that's the paradox. But okay. One can say that this is Ukrainian propaganda. Uh, let's look at the at the experts and, and independent experts. Mm-hmm. There is a company called uh, Rochen Consulting. I'm, I'm not sure I'm pronouncing it correctly, but they are doing this uh, Ukraine, uh, how it is called, um, Ukraine conflict monitor. Well, I hate this uh, concept, Ukraine conflict, but okay. But okay. So... Uh, Let's compare. They, they compare losses from uh, from Russians and Ukrainians on the fifth of April. Main battle tanks. Russians lost four hundred twenty-five. So Ukrainians are saying that there's six hundred something, and Ukrainians lost ninety-three. So huge difference, right? Armored fighting vehicles. Russians lost two hundred seventy-nine. Ukrainians sixty-four. Infantry fighting vehicles. Russians lost. 411 Ukrainians 676 uh, artillery pieces Russian lost uh, 176 and Ukrainians 57 and you know this comparisons is going on and on so Ukrainians have lost three times less sometimes four times less and still we don't equipment. know we don't know the exact number of uh, Ukrainian lo- uh, losses in 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 human in human resources i would say in 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 soldiers but uh what military say in 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 official way that they that russian uh, losses are f- at least five times higher at un- be- between some, something between five and ten times higher uh, compared to to Ukrainian losses, so unfortunately, fortunately for the military, but unfortunately for civilians, uh, civilian uh, civilians victims uh, in Ukraine are, are huge numbers. In in a matter of fact, but the military losses are much inferior to what Russians have at that mo- moment. And what we also receive from many 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 resources that you, that Russian soldiers they are demotivated to fight. Um, why? Because there are a lot of losses, because they some of them maybe they don't really understand the meaning of this war. 
um, because uh, they are they are they sh- they see that they their country their army can lose here, and that's the reason why they, there is no no clear motivation for them. It's good news for Ukraine once again yeah. because Ukrainians they this is quite clear there is no misunderstanding here. So Ukrainians they do defend their own territory and their own freedom. So there is no no double reading of what's going on. But for Russians, I imagine. Uh, there are some some cruel cruel soldiers uh, and and a lot of them who did all these uh, atrocities we've seen in Bucha. But at the same time, we presume that some of them are just simply don't un- don't understand what they are doing. So so they were sent here and they and that's why it explains uh, such a difference in losses because they have no motivation, no 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 real motivation to fight. Let's talk about the human face of this war. We uh, at Ukraine World, we're publishing the testimonies of people. Sometimes we take them, sometimes we just translate what they, what people publish on social networks. One of the testimonies you can find it on under the hashtag Ukraine World Testimony on on our Twitter Ukraine World Twitter. So one of the testimony is from Anna from Mariupol, and as we said, in, increasingly, you know many times here on the podcast that there is a real Mariupol disaster, Mariupol genocide. And uh, according to some uh, insiders, there can be 30 to 40,000 dead. We still don't know, don't understand how people are still there without water, electricity, food, uh, heating, and how Ukrainian Ukrainian soldiers are fighting there. Without without really supplies of ammunition, etc. Just uh, good news from yesterday that um, Ukrainian foundation come back alive. Povrnejivim, they were happy yesterday because they they succeeded to to send some military equipment inside Mariupol. It was about power banks, about some other military things, but they uh, they confirmed that they were successful in sending that to this besieged city. So this is something incredible. So let me read this testimony from Anna from Mariupol. I survived for 22 days of the war I was in Mariupol. To say that it was hell is an understatement. We have lost everything that a person can lose. Our homes, belongings, pets, people we know lost touch with our loved ones. We still do not know if they are alive. They were trying to kill us every second of our lives there. In Mariupol, we changed three basements and managed to cross the city from one side to the other. We didn't sleep because it was not possible. Bombs were going off all around us. As it uh, turned out later, these bombs hit the neighboring houses. Now we say that we won the Russian roulette. We had no water or electricity. We lost phone uh, reception. We were living in a complete darkness and fear without any information about what was happening in our city, in our country, and not knowing anything about our relatives. The weather in the city was very frosty. It was around minus 13 degrees Celsius outside and plus 5 degrees Celsius in the basement. The windows shattered from the shellings, so we had to wear our winter coats, hats, and mittens. The last two days we were running out uh, of the water and we had to drink technical alkaline water from the pipes. We ate very little, saving as much as we could for later. 
The last three days I was not scared of anything. I didn't care if I survive or die. I was staring into the darkness, breathing in the gunpowder and sensing the power of the shots with my whole body. I was dreaming that everything is over soon and how I escape. As of now, I have managed, we have managed to get to safety, but all our relatives are still there, in that hell created for us by Russia. This horror will never be forgotten or forgiven. So, unfortunately, we have lots of lots of stories like that. Yeah, this is... There is no words to describe the, the horror of what's going on in Mariupol, and even in that very seconds we are talking, there are still at least 100 people alive there, at least what we know. 100,000. 100,000. And all these humanitarian corridors, they are they're not functioning properly. So when we receive figures, for, for example, 3,000 people were able to leave Mariupol. So if you compare to, to the whole number, to the total number of people still there, it means that we will need months to get uh, people evacuated from there. This is unfortunately the thing that we will discover in in, in some times sometime because we still hope that Mariupol will be liberated. I don't know if the word liberated is 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 proper now here because in this context because you cannot liberate ruin, you can liberate, liberate maybe people uh, inside, but there is nothing to liberate. There is no city, nothing. Yes, so uh, what we have seen from Bucha, unfortunately, in Mariupol, it, it, it can be uh, hundreds times more, more horrible. Uh, maybe our last points, let's talk about Russian propaganda, disinformation, Russians hate speech, we try to monitor it and uh, what, what's, what's going on there. So a few, a few messages from these propagandists uh, so that you understand what is going on in their heads. Mm, whether they, they are going to say sorry, of course they are not. They are thinking that uh, everything is going in, in the right direction. There is a website, ukraina.ru, one of the prominent, well, notorious websites, propaganda websites about Ukraine. We all know that. It's, it is basically founded by RIA Novosti, which is you know, one of the top Russian propagandist news agency. Uh, what they are, what they have been writing even before that notorious article in Ria Novosti that we discussed in, in our previous episodes, what they have been writing that um, didn't they know? I mean, they're addressing. Didn't they know? They're making the parallel, of course, with Nazi Germany, how they liberated the Europe from Nazi Germany, etc. Didn't they know that it is impossible to bloodlessly liberate a society that is saturated with Nazism? Okay, mm -hmm. so uh, in, in saying in different terms, they're just uh, saying that, yes, we should do the genocide against Ukrainians because they're Nazis and there can be no bloodless liberation, so-called liberation from the, uh, from the Nazis. Бескровно, как будто можно бескровно освободить от нацизма насквозь им проникнутое общество, as if it is possible to bloodlessly liberate a society that is saturated with Nazism. And the next message, Россия в очередной раз спасает человечество от нацистской заразы. Russia once again saves humanity from the Nazi plague. 
So mm-hmm. they're, they're saving all the humanity. You so know, this is about dehumanizing Ukrainians. They're saying like that Ukrainians are worth dying. So they you have killed all the Ukrainians because it's all they deserve. That's that's it. But at the same time, um, what we receive information this is which is not confirmed at that very moment. But uh, they say that in most films, so the biggest one of the biggest uh, cinema production in Moscow, they are. Pre- pre- preparing something like video film or documentary and they're creating uh, the um, Kiev uh, so so if as if the action takes place in Kiev and as if Russian soldiers are on, on marching in these Kiev streets so it could be some propaganda, propaganda film or something like that and it looks like they are already living in a parallel reality not in in our reality so they're trying to to create to live in this propaganda they created themselves uh, we cannot confirm these rumors about this video we don't know even know exactly what kind of uh, production is this is it a film or documentary or video but they are preparing this video and they will show maybe on tv uh, for russian population uh, russian troops uh, walking in on krishatik and they they will maybe say that uh, russian russia has already ca- captured kiev we don't know exactly but this shows the absurdity of this the whole war and for them maybe because putin needs victory so this is clear for us so where putin there is a victory as russians say so he will win anyway if he will lose here in ukraine which looks like quite a possible possible way maybe the only possible way for him in ukraine he will create the another reality where he wins so and he will create this virtual reality maybe they will be shown on every tv in the country in Russia and every so in a way that every Russian is, is convinced would be convinced that Russia won in this war. Yeah, so maybe they will lose this war but be still persuaded that they have won this war. Another another thing from Russian propaganda uh, a website uh, vz.ru Zglad writes that they're trying to, you know, impose Russian logic on the west and they're saying quote Indeed, the West is afraid, luckily for itself and for the rest of humankind. Some dreamers and individualists believe that the world peace can be assured through some kind of international norms and humanitarian values. Their hopes did not come true. The West understands only the power and fear of this power. Only only force, I would say, right? Sila. Mm-hmm. That is how they are going to live from now. So... This is this is what what have we have been saying about Russia. Now what Russia is saying about the West. The West basically was in these decades was trying to build these multilateral systems, you know, horizontal relations, try to give something to Russia, etc. But Russians do not see it. They they see that the West understands only the power of force, and the power uh, the power of yeah power. So maybe the West is changing itself, right? Another another um, another important thing is that um, um, is that what what Mr. Medvedev said, um, Dmitry Medvedev, uh, who was a Russian, you know, president, as we can say, from two thousand and eight, puppet president, a puppet president, right? And uh, he he's accusing now Poland that Poland wants to take some parts of Ukraine, you know. So this mm-hmm. is this is the reality in which we live. So it's not Russians that are occupying Ukrainian territory; it's Poland that's willing to occupy. Now, quote: 
Territories of Ukraine look like a yummy piece of cake for Warsaw. Polish TV brazenly showcases maps of this poor country where its entire western region is incorporated into Poland. This is what Medvedev says, you know. I have a very strong impression that they are living in the previous century, don't they? Because just I, I don't think that the, the modern world is about dividing territories. It looks like they are still living in this 20th century uh, just after the Second World War and they are still in this rhetorics and in all this, all this um, way of thinking. So that's why I think this war, they will lose this war because you cannot, you cannot live in the previous century. Yeah, century. They're, they're, they're making the war against reality. Yeah. One of the, also another propagandist website is saying that, look, Europe doesn't know the truth about what is happening in Ukraine. Of course, the truth is that Ukrainians are spreading, you know, dead, dead bodies in Bucha and then invite foreign journalists to film it. So this is the, the, the more it, it goes bad for Russians, the more absurdist they, they are, the more crazy they become. And we should understand that. Now, for those people who want to learn more, go to our website, ukraineworld.org. We have a special live uh, updates about Russian disinformation warfare, where we collect all these examples. We also cooperate with uh, a very good partner, Ukrainian partner, Texty.org.ua, and they are uh, monitoring what we call a gray zone of Internet, so pr probably not so much evident, evident things about uh, Russian uh, propaganda. But l let me say again that uh, it's not about disinformation, really. It's about dehumanization. The, what, what they were saying oh, for all these years, they have uh, Russian media basically are that much responsible for this war as Russian military. They have prepared this with this, you know, flows of hate to Ukrainians, to Europeans, to Americans, to any other peoples of the world. They're calling everybody Nazi, and uh, and they are responsible for and they were justifying this genocide that we we see in Bucha in Irpin in in Mariupol in uh, other cities. We will end on this note. Uh, this was explaining Ukraine podcast by Ukraine World. Uh, this is a series of podcasts about the war. is co-production from Internews Ukraine and Ukraine Crisis Media Center. My name is Volodymyr Yermolenko. I'm chief editor of ukraineworld.org. I'm joined by Titano Harkova, who is in charge of international outreach at Ukraine Crisis Media Center. Follow this podcast on SoundClouds, uh, YouTube, uh, Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts. You can also support us on Patreon, patreon.com slash ukraineworld. Stay with us and stand with Ukraine.